Welcome to the 22nd episode of Yogika. I'm Stephanie Takumi-san. And I'm Suidian Lee. And this week we have our resident woke white woman. Oh, thanks. Token resident woke white woman, Kate Walton, back. <laughs> Hi, everyone. So this week we're going to talk about the Women's March on Washington. And since in our conversation we talk a lot about intersectionality and white feminism, we thought it would be also beneficial to have Kate here. We're also going to talk about the Women's March as a way to explore more deeply about what it means to be an ally and how we can become better feminists. Here's to it. They came in their thousands, children, men and women, lots of women. This march was conceived as a celebration of women and of one woman in particular, Hillary Clinton. But after the surprising American election, it quickly became a protest and a protest against one man in particular, Donald Trump. There were huge crowds in other American cities too, in liberal bastions like Los Angeles, where they didn't vote for Trump. And in Chicago, where the turnout was so big, they had to change the route. In solidarity, they protested around the world. In London, a march that began on the doorstep of the American embassy was joined by 100,000 people, from the famous to the frail. They marched also in Paris today, and in Sydney, and in Nairobi. In Washington, the protests surpassed President Trump's inauguration crowd, a slap in the face to a man who cares about size. President Trump takes office as the most unpopular new president ever. Today's march put faces to that fact. Katty Kay, BBC News, Washington. So last week, he who shall not be named was <laughs> inaugurated as president of the United States. And in response to that, the very next day, millions of people around the world marched. Pretty much against him and everything that he stood for. Yeah, so basically the main movement was called the Women's March. Uh, people have said that this is probably the biggest uh, march, march in U.S. history. In U.S. history. So essentially what they're protesting is, aside from Trump's whole being, <laughs> is this <laughs> idea that he's the candidate who has been very anti-woman in terms of his comments, sexual assault and just general behavior that disrespects women. And this protest was not exactly to try impeach him or anything, but was rather a response to say, like, look, he's not my president and he is not a legitimate president. So this mm -hmm. is calling the legitimacy of the fact that he was not popularly elected. Hillary Clinton was, if the US elected their presidents by a popular vote, and then Hillary would have won the mm -hmm. election by over three or four million votes. You know, there's a real dissatisfaction and the fact that he is not just any other president, there is something extremely abnormal about him being elected president and that we shouldn't normalize him being president as something that mm -hmm. is accepted behavior, you know. Part of why this Women's March was such a big news item is that not only was there a big protest in America, but cities across the world I think all of the continents even, I think somebody mm -hmm. might have like at least held up a sign in Antarctica. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, there was a whole group of people actually. There was a, a whole bunch of scientists down yeah. in Antarctica, maybe 20 or 30 people holding up signs. So all seven continents. Mm. Oh, 
Oh, cool. Participate in the even, Women's March. Even in Indonesia and Jakarta and Ubud, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think for a lot of people, Trump becoming president is a symbol of how the patriarchy is still very strong. Yeah. And deeply rooted. Yeah. And so I think part of this march is about fighting against and yeah. resisting the patriarchy. On a policy standpoint, Trump is not that different from a lot of Republicans. Oh, yeah. Including Mike Pence the- is not better. And neither is Paul Ryan. Neither is Paul Ryan. So I think part of this protest is very much against how openly he talked about sexual assault, sexual harassment. So a lot of white women and a lot of people who otherwise won't have protested showed up because of this like egregious line that was crossed. Line that was crossed and then... Against white women. (laughs) Well, yeah, but then uh, it didn't seem to have any effect. It didn't have any impact. That's like a big thing. Like, How can you have someone who said that and then you vote for him. Yeah. And yeah. he won. And, you know, 53% of white women voted for him. Yeah. Like the, the line that he crossed, he crossed three months there ago. There was a line. And multiple times. And then, and then he went like 100 kilometers, like over the line. And mm. then the rest of the electorates who chose him as president. Mm-hmm. I think that's who it's also against. You know? I agree. I don't think this is purely about being against Trump or against the Republican Party or even what they stand for but simply for the fact that so many people Think did okay. vote for them, that mm-hmm. this is a protest almost against those people themselves. Yeah. So this is so much more like, yes, it might have started from Trump's election, but I think uh, the, the fight is, is more than yeah. just against him. Yeah, and the fight is more, hopefully it's more than just that one day. It's supposed to be this call to be ungovernable, and the idea that, Um, We're going to fight him and his presidency and what he stands for. Mm -hmm. A big controversy of the Women's March as well, more from like the people of color sector is, you know, how initially the Women's March on Washington, there was like a lot of jostling of power between women of color and white women who want to like take control of this. Who's being represented, yeah, right? Yeah, And then mm-hmm. like there was a big New York Times article as well on this, how the women of color activists are essentially saying like, look, like we want to put on this platform, Black Lives Matter, uh, Standing Rock, like police brutality, all issues that are just not about, you know, Trump's attitude towards women in general, but like specific things outside of what a lot of white women are comfortable talking about and this got a big backlash and how a lot of people felt that you know they were insulted like why can't we just have unity again and, mm-hmm. and unite behind trump and then people of color were like well well there's specific can't... issues that needs to be addressed in this mm-hmm. whole overarching thing so there were a couple of white women who at first wanted to attend the rally and they dropped out because yeah, that of was that the big thing. Um, but to be fair to the organizers they did appoint a more diverse yeah. um, co-chair system. Yeah. And they also adapted their manifesto to include that, you know, the kind of conversations we're talking about is not just a cisgendered white women rights. It's about like trans issues, trans issues, economic justice, racial justice. Mm-hmm. So I give them credit for that because they tried to be much yeah. more inclusive. But it was definitely not without more prominent black activists, you know, dropped out of the march all because they were really just upset at this whole thing. And I guess at the center of this issue is like the need for us to talk about intersectional feminism Mm -hmm. as something that needs to be unpacked. And I think something that we need to recognize is an essential part of being a feminist in this day and age. So essentially, intersectional feminism is about acknowledging the differences in race, culture, class, 
and issues of concern for different people and to be a feminist is to care about those differences and how to you know listen to people coming from that particular background on what they need and what they want instead of prescribing for people how they should be or what they should want in life well i think taking up on stephanie's point about acknowledging differences i think is a key part of intersectional Mm -hmm. feminism because criticisms of first and second wave feminism obviously was that it's white straight cis feminism Mm -hmm. but at the same time um particularly talking about globally there was this idea that we're all women we're all the same yeah which a lot of people in um developing countries in particular Mm -hmm. uh particularly from the global south were saying that yes that's nice and thanks Mm -hmm. for your support but we actually have our own issues as well mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you may not necessarily be able to understand from your own lived experiences, yeah. that we have something very different. And it's because of the color of our skin. It's because of our religion. Um, it's because of our cultures. Uh, we have other issues as well. And mm-hmm. I think to me that's what comes to mind when I think about intersectional feminism, that it is acknowledging differences and then working together to solve the problems relating to those differences and the different kinds of injustice and that people experience. And that people coming from different backgrounds have different needs that needs to be met. Like, I think the idea is it's going away from like a prescriptive feminism where a certain group of people, usually white upper class, Mm. determines for other people how you should be or like what is considered feminist or Mm. what is considered freedom, right? Like, what is even considered a feminist issue for yeah. us to struggle on. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like equal pay, obviously, for a long time has been mm-hmm. a key topic, same with political representation of women. But those topics are not necessarily the major topics of interest for mm-hmm. women who are not white, straight, and cissexual. Yeah. And I think part of it as well is we are trying to recognize everyone's different lived experiences and mm-hmm. backgrounds. We are also checking our own privileges yeah. when we interact with other people. Mm-hmm. Because I think part of the criticism of first and second wave feminism is that people think of this feminism with a capital F that everybody's on the same page, nobody needs yeah. to check their privilege. We're all being yeah. oppressed in some way. Yeah. And then, for example, this means like I need to listen to black feminist activists or um, people from the trans community when they're talking about their issues and not have my judgment being what is right or what is even relevant in most conversations. And it's about, you know, amplifying those voices when we're talking about those issues instead of like going with your preconceived notions of what things should be. Mm, That's Mm -hmm. right. It's about hearing those concerns and then saying, okay, that's your main concern, mm-hmm. that's great, rather than saying, no, your main concern as a feminist should yeah. be equal pay, yeah. when actually maybe it's police brutality mm-hmm. or maybe it's religious oppression. Yeah. We, we don't know because everyone has those different lived yeah. experiences. It's and not I, a ranking system, right? Ranking yeah. system. I think it's about how everyone's concerns and needs are all equally valid and all struggles are valid regardless of where they come from. Mm-hmm. And white women issues should not, you know, be the primary issue that should supersede other people's issues and i think a big part of intersectional feminism is learning about your own privileges and your own preconceived notions and then trying to like change them and becoming more woke Mm -hmm. as a result of learning from other people's lived experiences
So one of the main criticisms for the Women's March is this failure to embrace intersectional feminism was to, you know, get angry at people who were talking about their issues and then telling those people that they were derailing the conversation. And this is actually a failure of allyship. Part of that, I think, is discussing about how do you be an ally in the intersectional sense, right? I guess in this context, allyship means to really listen to those people from the different lived experiences backgrounds and then helping them um, amplify their voices in daily life and conversation. I think allyship um, kind of began becoming a strong element in feminist and related movements when uh, there started to be the queer straight alliances mm-hmm. um, and this sort of idea, particularly in schools, you know, that it's not just up to the queer people yeah. to explain themselves and it was up to the straight people as well yeah. to particularly just talk to other straight people and explain why queer issues are important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's where it kind of began. That's definitely true. That's like historically, like when I first learned about allyship, it was in context of being an ally to the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. And I think that concept has translated very well in the intersectional feminist context because the acknowledgement of people coming from different backgrounds needs, you know, different people of different lived experiences to help those people amplify their thoughts and experiences mm-hmm. to people coming from the similar background to them and then explaining that in a mm-hmm. more, I think, approachable way without having to always have the person who is having a lot of emotional labor or oppressed have to educate people about their own oppression. The ability to talk about these issues without being emotionally burdened Mm -hmm. is a privilege. And I think good allyship these days is about recognizing that privilege as well and using it to good use. Yeah. We talked about this before, and I think being a good ally is also like shining the light on people who you should talk to. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm very active on social media, particularly on Twitter. Um, I also do a lot of um, journalism and writing. So I often get contacted by journalists and academics who want to talk about women's issues or LGBT issues in Indonesia. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm very happy to give background information, provide links, Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's important that I don't take up that spotlight and always agree to give quotes, to give interviews, because it shouldn't be about me. Mm -hmm. It should be about other people in the movement, Indonesian women, who are fighting for their own rights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think so that's very important for me to do. Whenever I get contacted, I'm happy to give that background info. And then I say, okay, now go talk to this person. Go talk to this queer activist. Go talk to this indigenous woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, go talk to this person because it's important that they are saying their own thoughts in their own voice mm-hmm. rather than me saying it for them. That's not what I'm I'm here to do. I need to be an ally in that. And that means giving other people the opportunity to speak. Yeah. I think there's a fine line between being a proper ally and then like speaking over someone yeah. from that community. And that's a really fine balance to achieve yeah. as well. Yeah. Like I know that's something I struggle with pretty much every day. And I've been accused of being colonialist <laughs> and imperialist in the past. And I'm sure I have as well. Yeah. But it's really tricky to find that right element between being a good ally and supporter and not dominating the conversation Mm -hmm. and taking away from the people you are speaking on behalf of here. Obviously, Mm -hmm. I'm not Indonesian, but, you know, I've been working and living here for about five years, primarily on women's issues. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but I think it comes down to the fact if people, if my feminist activists friends told me, we don't want you here, we don't think you're contributing, mm -hmm. uh, we'd prefer if you went back to your own country, that's the point where you'd have to be like, okay, well, I've, you know, mm -hmm. I've tried my best, I've done my best to be an ally, but if my help isn't needed mm -hmm. or wanted here, then I have to accept that. And I think that's part of what being a good ally is about also. You know, it's not easy because you also, as an ally, you have to educate. You can't just sit and be like, I support you as an or ally. Or white knighting. Yeah, you can't just like, I'll stand beside you. Like, you have to participate. You and, have to be active in that mm -hmm. and conversation. You're gonna, and you're going to encounter your own, like, biases and prejudices and learn yeah. horrible things about yourself. Like you learned today. Yeah. Like, Sweetian of 2008. It was really bad, guys. I was not woke and said some unsavory things. But that's part of growth, right? That's part of being intersectional feminist, I think, is also recognizing that there's no one track and you might be lacking in certain areas and yeah. it's your job, it's your responsibility to improve. Yeah. These conversations about allyship and intersectionality, right? I'm glad we're having these conversations because of the women's march because yeah. I think if people have marched and people are happy and they go home and they feel satisfied and pat yeah. themselves on the back then you haven't that's, done really done the hard work that's another problem like I think a lot of people are worried about with the women's march this aspect of performative feminism mm. well unpack that a little bit <laughs> performative feminism is when you're just acting out for a cause and then you're like it's there for one day and then you don't do anything else about it and then you're holding all of this like contradictions so you haven't examined your own internalized sexism and then you're still you know slut shaming other women and you're still contradictory and so many things without actually putting forth a future effort to become a better feminist so you're just performing just feminism performing, yeah like it's like doing it for the selfies <laughs> <laughs> but to play the devil's advocate then um i mean we could also say then well should those women just stay home no and should not no. come to the march I think yeah. that's the crucial point is that we have to say then, okay, we want you there and we want you involved, but we'd really like you to continue on with yeah. your work after this, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, because we, we, you know, we often have these conversations about baby feminists, yeah. quote unquote, um, who come seeking information yeah. and maybe are a bit misguided in mm -hmm. some of their thinking at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah, again, you have to find this medium between educating them and sharing information with them and pushing them away you have yeah. to find the the key the point between and that. i think that's the point of like again allyship right so do you think then with this idea the people participate in the women's march right mm -hmm. like there are so many people of different kinds of backgrounds mm -hmm. um if a person marched for a particular reason a particular personal reason during the women's march they should also act as good allies to represent or at least be supportive of the other causes they are being marched for, right? Yes. Because I think that's part of like the thing that might be missed sometimes with the Women's March because it's such a big thing yeah. that it becomes almost diluted. Yeah. That you forget that like, other people are coming for it with their own personal reasons and that's equally valid and you have to kind of support that as yeah. well. Um, people seeing the Women's March as day one of this mm -hmm. new movement, I think that's part of it too, is yeah. because they're thinking, yeah, this is day one of it. Yeah. But like, no, this is literally day 2 million, and <laughs> whatever, you know. Yeah. This has been going on for, for centuries, yeah. and I think that's part of the learning experience. Yeah. The reason why this is so important, I think a lot of people, you know, quote Michelle Obama saying, like, when they go low, we go high, and then, like, 
you know, talking about this and what that means, I think, for me, if you're only out there for your self-interest, for protecting your own rights or, like, for your own offenses, how is that different from, you know, Trump supporters or people who are just fighting for their own, what they think is their own rights, right? Like, mm-hmm. what makes you different should be that you need to care and embrace other people's issues and concerns instead of just your own. Otherwise, mm. you're the same as those deplorables that you're protesting against. Exactly. Sorry. Yeah. And- I'm not Sorry. <laughs> The reason why we want to talk about this after the women's march is recognizing that you can't just march and be happy with it, right? Mm -hmm. We need to have these hard conversations. They're going to be hard. They're going to be uncomfortable. But that's part of becoming woke. For every feminist with a particular focus, you're also an ally in another focus. Yeah, and then every feminist is an ally in that sense. Yeah, and learning how and where to step up. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening to us this week. Uh, we hope you kind of took away something from it. As always, um, music credits to Jazzart, Ryan Little, and Bro for Free. And if you haven't followed us on YouTube, um, our latest channel. Uh, you should definitely follow yeah. us. We're also still going to be on SoundCloud, but we want to uh, highlight YouTube a bit more. And also, it's a lot easier, I guess, to listen on YouTube than, yeah. say, like open up SoundCloud or you know go into iTunes and download the podcast. So we're trying to make it easier for you guys to, to, uh, listen. to enjoy the episodes. Yeah. And once again, we always, always really want feedback. So email us at dialogicapodcast at gmail.com or send us a Facebook message or comment on YouTube. And as always, uh, we'll have resources and links at our website, theologica.id. And thanks so much for listening. Bye.